You talk dirty to me. The Quick and the Dirty with Hillary and Sandra. You're kidding me. Here are things that I have put in my mouth. Um, oh my God, Hillary. <laughs> it's what everyone is talking about. Get jazzy on. I'm Hillary from London. And I'm Sandra from Ottawa. And this is the Quick and the Dirty podcast. It's basically the stuff you talk about with your friends, except we record it and we post it online. And we also have some pretty killer guests on the show, too. Yeah, today we're pretty excited to have an Ottawa stand-up comedian by the name of Mark Hadfield. But his story is pretty incredible. He started in the NFL, went through firefighting, and is also a stand-up comedian on the side. It's a pretty cool story. So he does all the things. He does all the things. That's right. Uh, Nice. So this is the part of the show where we do our quick, which is where we basically catch up on the embarrassing things that Sandra and I have done for a week. What's yours, Sandra? Well, um, it dawned on me uh, in the last few days that I think that I am a reversed, no, reverse sexist. Does that make any sense? So you're, you hate men. Yeah, that's right. Uh, You're I, a man hater. Okay. No, you know what? Let me let me just you know rewind for a second here. I got a massage recently. My first massage in like a decade. Okay. And I called up the place, and she said, um, "You know, do you want Eric or do you want Helga?" <laughs> I said, <laughs> "Do um, you even have to ask?" <laughs> that's right. And I said, "Well, I don't." And I just and it came out of my mouth. I said, "I don't want a man touching me." What? I actually said that. Are you crazy? And then I slapped myself and went, "Who are you?" Uh, yeah, no, I actually, it dawned on me in that moment that I am really uncomfortable being massaged by a man. So well, I, because the potential that he's good looking is there and then you have to feel bad about not shaving your legs. Uh, you know, that's also part of it, but then flip <laughs> it for a second. What if they fall in love with me? I can't have that in my life. It's too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? How do you get what you want in life? Have somebody else want you That's and then right. Tim has to actually try. <laughs> oh, girl, I wish. Yeah, but it, honestly, <laughs> I realized in that moment I have hangups, like big, big hangups. And it's not even about not shaving my legs because I'm a Greek woman. So, you know, by five o'clock every day, <laughs> it's like it I haven't shaved my legs. But honestly, I was like, I don't want a hands a man's hands all over me because you, well, you and I both know that a registered massage therapist is a clinical thing when you yeah, go out, like right? It's just a body. It's just a body and they don't care, but I care. And it just dawned on me how many hangups I have. And then I became super embarrassed. And then I found myself explaining it to the, <laughs> you know, the receptionist. And then she started appeasing me saying, oh, no, no, it's okay. And I could hear her like putting a check, hates men next to my name. I do. It was weird. I mean, I really, and I don't know why I don't want a man touching me now are you actually afraid he's gonna fall in love with you are you afraid that you might get excited it's not like he's gonna find out like the, the best part about being a woman is you can get excited and only you know that's right that's true well i actually had the massage on saturday from a lovely woman and i'd forgotten how good it was and afterwards i realized that i mean she i i if she wanted to i was good to go because it was this swedish <laughs> massage business i don't know why everyone isn't getting one but it dawned on me had a man been giving me this swedish massage i totally would have been turned on totally so and is that what you're worried about because you're kind of a bit of a you know what a hoe <laughs> Well, I thought you were going to say because you're from Montreal. But <laughs> well, there's that too. You made eye contact. You're doing it. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I just didn't realize I was so, you know, I'd become an Ottawa girl, like basically this stuffy, uh, uptight person. Am Judgy I, housewife. Yes, yes to all of it. 
<laughs> yes, yes to absolutely all of it. So yeah, that's that's my quick this week. And I feel like I need almost therapy, a different kind of therapy, like head therapy now, to discover and ask myself these questions about why I'm so uncomfortable being touched. And you know, Sandra, when the hell I'm, did I get so frigid? I'm a little uh, upset here. Why? Because you let me touch you and give you a massage. What, you're not afraid you're going to fall in love with me? I'm already in love with you, honey. <laughs> you do give a nice massage, I'll say. Like, you really do. I love that you were like, you gave me a massage and like clinically was able to tell me what was wrong with my back when you did it too. So that was very nice. And I kept screaming lower, 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 but you just wouldn't. <laughs> So I'm going to get back to you uh, in later episodes of the podcast. You know uh, what? I feel like you need this. to book a massage with a man now just to say you can do it. Mm. You think? I, I, mm. I think so. I can tell you this. When I was single in between my last two relationships, I did go for a massage from a man and I literally cried. Why? I cried. Because it was uncomfortable or because you loved it so much? No, it was because I was going through a really tough time. It had been a few months since I'd been touched by a man. <laughs> Yeah, I was just overcome with emotion. They say like that they that happens like the tension and everything when they're really. But I yeah, it was super embarrassing. Well, he was like, uh, no, no, it's fine. Again, lying to me. And uh, (laughs) it's been a few months since I've been touched by a man too. But I had I did not I don't anticipate that kind of reaction at all. (laughs) Oh, anyway. Um, Do you love that? Uh, anyway, that's my new way of ending conversations that are uncomfortable. <laughs> What's your quick this week, Hillary? Sandra, I know you've experienced this when you're out in public and you mistake someone uh, that you don't know for someone that you know very well. Yes. It can get very awkward, right? Of course. Well, I'm at a concert in Detroit, of all places, with my boyfriend last week. We went to see Bahamas, which is this awesome band. And uh, it's packed. It's a sold out show. And we had found our way onto this sort of uh, step up balcony type thing. And I was surrounded by only people I knew, which was very awesome because I hate touching strangers. And uh, I was bopping along, having a good time. And I'm a romantic concert goer. When I know my partner is next to me, I do a little reach into the hand, do a little hand squeeze. But the, the hand always makes a little slide over the bum. Eh, eh, I got it. Yeah. A little squeeze. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was bopping along, not really paying attention, maybe a couple beer in. And uh, I leant over. It was like a kind of a romantic song to give the hand squeeze and then the butt squeeze. And uh, my hand was grabbed and held. And I. it took me a second to realize what was going on. I had hand and butt squeezed a five foot two woman <laughs> that was not mine. <laughs> And it was her hand that was grabbing your hand? Yeah. And, and she, was she, it like was she like pushing it towards her body or pushing it away? <laughs> away. Where was this going? <laughs> and then she realized who I was reaching for. I don't know what was going on. And she was like, Oh, I guess I interrupted a very touching moment. And I turned beet red. And then my friend said I was touching strangers again. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Was she drunk too? No, she oh. was fine. I'm I'm lucky. Like she she wasn't with anyone that was gonna punch me out or anything. But it could have ended very badly. See, it's different when a woman does it. If a guy was doing that, you know how it would have ended. Yeah, with a hashtag, right? <laughs> but if you did it, it was adorable and cute, and I'm sure it was just. Oh priceless. my gosh, it was so embarrassing, and I can't live it down now. My boyfriend keeps trying to like do it because he knows I'm a toucher. So we'll be in public, and he'll like step out of the way so I touch a stranger. It's awful. <laughs> 
I would love to get Such touched by you. Oh, that, you're not an a-hole. You're fine. You're fine. I said he was. Oh, he is. Oh, I knew that about him. Uh, but I know what you mean. Like, remember that time I was in a grocery store and I went up to my girlfriend, or who I thought was my girlfriend. I went, hey, sweet ass. And I grabbed her ass, turned around. It was some. Sandra, you're not supposed to swear. Now I have to bleep things. Oh, sorry. Sorry. You can say sweet ass. You can okay. say that. And she turned around and she, uh, I can't remember what she said, but then I had to go through the entire grocery store and keep running into her every single aisle and make contact and then pretend that I was busy. You know, it was, oh, it's I think terrible. she said that you weren't uh, very ladylike oh, yes. or you were crass or something mean. That's right. She told me that I wasn't very, well, of course it's not very ladylike. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, you ready? For, are you ready for this week's dirty? I'm so ready I'm for so this ready. week's dirty because okay. I did a little bit of uh, stalking online, oh, nice. and this week's dirty is quite handsome. <laughs> did you hear that? They're old pictures. They're old <laughs> I am so pictures. jealous of you right now, Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> Just own it, Mark. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's so really. Doesn't mind me touching her. <laughs> Can I just give you a proper introduction? Yeah, let's Here's, do it. I've been waiting I, for this moment. I actually wrote it out about five minutes ago. I'm okay. pretty proud of it. <laughs> Today's guest has actually become a staple in the... Uh, the oh, I, I blew it already. No, no, start over. Okay. Take your time. Okay. This is important. Okay, I'm actually buckling now under the pressure. Today's guest has actually become a staple in the stand-up comedy scene in Ottawa. His story actually starts in a very random place. The, the NFL, then the CFL, and then firefighting. Did I get that right? That's, yeah. All right, Bang good. There's, okay, well, we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast, Mark Hatfield. My goodness. Thank you Woo! for having me. Uh, oh, it's yay. amazing. Is this a real podcast? Is this something that's really happening? Is this a, it's true. It's true. It's recording amazing. right now. I feel like I shouldn't have heard most of that. <laughs> I feel dirty. And I have a little bit of a boner. So this is all good. I think Sandra has some daddy issues we need yep. to talk about. I'm not a clinically trained psychologist, but I think I can help with a few little... Uh, maybe some words of advice. Yeah, I, ran I feel like I should bag. not be listening to this. <laughs> I, I was no going to ask idea. you for a massage, but I feel like we passed that already. Well, Never mind. Uh, yeah, under the table, her foot has been on my lap <laughs> for a few minutes. <laughs> All right, so I can Hashtag already tell that I'm going to have to mediate this conversation <laughs> from afar. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't you start with the question, though? Give me a breather. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, Everyone's going to wonder, how did you go from professional football playing to stand-up comedy? Well, uh, with a little firefighting in the middle. It all stems back to head injuries, really. Uh, <laughs> just, just sort of Sorry. wandering aimlessly uh, down the street into the wrong place at the wrong time and uh, enjoying myself. Actually, I have a quite a, a crazy story, which I won't get into unless you ask me. But uh, so, like... Uh, um, how many years ago is it now? Eight years ago. It was actually, yeah, so it was right before the Vancouver 2010 Olympics. That's right. I was just telling my story to somebody, uh, Kurt Studley on the morning show. At, I know uh, Kurt. Yeah, uh, A Channel. I had an exercise business and he was a big football fan, a big um, Houston Oilers fan. And he just happened to ask me the right questions. And, and the way I answered it was incredible to myself and somebody overheard that and said well that's a crazy story you got to go and tell that to school kids so i started telling it to school kids uh and it was all part of an olympic torch uh, carry the olympic torch program and i signed up like i don't know 100,000 kids to carry the torch and then they let me carry the torch and so uh, i was telling my story in, in all kinds of schools and places i told it over 800 times and I shortened it down for different events, and, and I went to this, uh, it was called Mo Mondays, and I, and I 
and I told it, and it's a 10-minute version of it, and it was full of jokes and laughs, and at the end, somebody came up and said, have you ever done stand-up comedy? I'm like, well, no, and he goes, well, you just did. You should start doing that in clubs and stuff, and then I went to Yuck Yucks uh, like a couple weeks later, and uh, that was three years ago, and uh, I have my own show there every Friday now, Mark Hatfield's Friday Nights. It's a great show. We get a collection of like five comedians, three touring, two local, and uh, they do about 12 minutes each. I do 10, 15 off the top, and uh, it's been sold out for eight weeks now. Oh, second wow. season of was that, Congratulations. Was that not the most terrifying thing to, to transition from, you know, talking to kids and saying, oh, I'm doing stand-up comedy and I'm doing it in two weeks? Was that not terrifying? Uh, no, because I'd been sort of preparing for this my whole life. I really always wanted to be sort of a comedian. I just never knew how. And it was, seemed like a world that was just took a lot of research and, and too much uh, energy on my part. And then someone just kind of opened the door for me. And, really? Uh, Howard Wagman at Yuck Yucks is really good with, like, new comedians and getting them to do the, the right things at the right time and pointing them and giving them opportunities and uh, we're very lucky to have a place like Yuck Yucks in Ottawa here. It's uh, it's an amazing place for people to go and you know live out their dreams and, and make their childhood fantasies come true that are non-sexual. Mark, I have to go back to the it was really too much work and I didn't really want to do it. Yeah. Uh, you're a professional athlete. Yeah. Isn't work kind of what you do? Well, I, I felt like I'd worked enough in my life. You know what I mean? Like you work super hard. My story is is a story that, well, I'll tell you. How, how much time is this podcast? Uh, as much as you need. Okay. So, okay. So 1985, me and my big brother Bill are in Beacon Hill here uh, watching the Super Bowl, January 22nd. Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins are playing halfway through the game. My big brother turns and he goes, you know what? If Dan Marino can make it to the Super Bowl in a second season, surely someday you could play in the NFL. And it was a crazy idea. I'd only played one year of organized football at Gloucester High School up until that point, and I really actually sucked at football. <laughs> and, you know, the whole next off season, I worked hard with my brother, and we trained, and it was a goal we were chasing. And on October 30th, 1985, um, after my last game of the regular season, or the playoffs, um, I walked into the change room and my uncle was standing there and he said, Mark, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your big brother Bill died today. My brother was born with a hole in his heart and he took every day and he lived every day like it might be his last. Uh, so I made a promise on that day, October 30th, 1985, that the dream of me making it to the NFL, I would n- I've never stopped trying to do it until I did it or until there was nowhere left to keep trying. And for the next 10 years was filled with failure and people tell me I can't do it. It's never been done, but I just never gave up. And like you said, I just worked as hard as I possibly could every single day. And on October 30th, 1995, I had a tryout with the uh, Miami Dolphins. After the tryout, head coach Don Shula says, thank you very much. Why don't you go sit down inside? Somebody will be in to talk to you in a moment. And uh, I was sitting there trying to catch my breath for my workout. Door opens up familiar looking guy walks in walks right over to me and says hi mark i'm dan marino congratulations you made the team no 10 years to the day of my brother passing away 10 oh, years of wow. me making that uh, that goal that 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 dream and like you said it was full of hard work it was non-stop hard work and <clears throat> excuse me i often tell people that things uh, like this like you know when you when you have a dream and a goal and you achieve it, it's important to reset your goals. It's important to revisit those all the time because my goal, my dream was to make it to the NFL. And once I did that, I was so happy with myself and I was just, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted after trying and failing and people telling me for 10 years. Uh, you know, my, my goal at that point should have been, hey, let's uh, have a, a Hall of Fame career. Let's uh, let's make it to the Super Bowl, you know, like that. And then mm-hmm. perhaps I would have played longer and, and, and had more opportunities that way. But... 
That being said, super happy for what I did for all the people I met and the techniques that I learned to uh, overcome obstacles and just be a very confident person. And then that's the same thing that I do with comedy is, uh, you know, I learn from all my mistakes. I watch other people around me. If I have questions, I, I ask people who know the answers and I point myself in that direction. And it's a fantastic and unbelievable opportunity to uh, be able to speak to kids and then to translate that into sort of the adult world to get up on stage at night and have that same rush, that same feeling of making people laugh. So then you moved to the CFL yeah, afterwards. I played, I played three years in the three CFL. Years. Yeah, my first season there, I herniated a disc in my back. Fun. My second season, I knocked the head off my humerus. Third season, like a huge concussion. Moral of the story is kids should play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's a crazy sport, and uh, I love the CFL as well, and a big fan of both leagues. But uh, the CFL... They ask players to play uh, out of position quite a bit because there's a smaller roster, and I was just I was doing things I probably shouldn't have at you know 110 percent, and I, I got hurt every time I pretty much stepped on the field. So. See the That's life tough. of the life of a, a, a pro athlete is interesting because I feel like you're always waiting for it to end. Because you know you have a you have a short shelf life, and then you're always making a plan for it to end. What was the plan for you when you knew it was going to end? Uh, absolutely nothing. Uh, <laughs> Good, I, well done. Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> you go through this. You struggle about. You know, you have to have a backup plan. You have to. I mean, I went to university. I got a degree. What is in nowadays? What is that? Well, what's the degree in? Tell us. It's sociology. Oh. How people live in groups, which is way more applicable now than it was yeah. at the time. <laughs> but like you know. When you're chasing a dream and you, you, you're putting everything into something you got and you have this backup plan, that's just a, a way out. It's a way of doing something that's good instead of something that's great. I mean, at the, you know, we can always adjust and, and, and move on. And, and the, the, the tools that I learned chasing this dream have been applicable in everything I've done afterwards. I wanted to become a firefighter when I, was, when I retired from football. I did the same sort of thing. I asked people who have been there and done that. I found out the steps that it took to get there, and I worked towards them every single day, and I wrote it down, I revisited, when things weren't going well, you know, I would find out why and make, make adjustments. So it's not so much having a backup plan, but learning a way to be successful and then applying that in the different things that you want to do. And, you know, this backup plan is crap. If you ask me, it's just an excuse to do something else, to have an easier way out. That, the backup plan, I feel, is to make your mom happy. Exactly, Because yeah. mom wants you to go to university and get a degree, and you're mm-hmm. like, all right, mom, I'll do it. My mother still gets on me to finish my degree. And I'll be like, mom, I've been a professional broadcaster for 25 years. Yeah. I feel like I'm qualified in life to move on. If you know radio doesn't work out, now you really should get your degree. Moms, eh? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> See, I am a backup plan person, but I have a plan with no real intention to ever use it. It's just there so I can sleep at night. Yeah, it makes you feel happy. It makes you feel good, yeah. for sure. What's your backup plan? Uh, well, it's, <laughs> it's a sad backup plan. I'm going to open a hair salon in my basement. It's <laughs> a terrible backup plan. That's not even a backup plan. That's like a way down backup. That's a third string backup plan. Uh, yeah. It's a farm league. You know what's funny is that you don't know. I told her it was a great backup plan. <laughs> I was drunk though, in my defense. Yeah. I was like, that's You're trying to get into her pants. That's why. That's it's right. a great, it's a great idea that you can do that. Your skills. <laughs> Your skills that. are amazing. You've got the hands, and you can stand for hours. I've never seen anything like it, Hillary. I, just, I, I was thinking about the fleas. Honestly, it's just so I can sleep at night. I need to yeah. know that I could make a living. That's it. Yeah. You should have a bar in that in that hair salon too. We can drink, and it will be your thing. You'll do it topless. <laughs> Be a topless drinking hair salon, Hillary's. Too many nipple burns. Hillary's nipple emporium and tattoo parlor. Get your hair cut. 
and do shooters. I, love, I have a question for you, Mark. <laughs> what was it like the first time you bombed in front of an audience? Uh, I'll let you know. No, I bomb all the time. It's great. You just keep going. You have fun yourself, and you just uh, you realize that you know there's going to be nights like that, and you hopefully learn from them. And if not, then hopefully you make them less. You've never been hard on yourself. Uh, yeah. I'm, oh man, you wouldn't believe. As a comedian, either you leave like you've just won the Super Bowl, or you leave like you're you're questioning your your decisions. You're like, why am I spending time doing this? And it happens all the time. And you just live for that moment when everything goes right, and the room is yours, and everyone laughing at anything you say but that's the the chase the thrill of it right why you do it why you get up and, and you do it and then there's other times like this weekend Mike Ward was in town and uh, I went to see him and this is a guy who's on top of his game he's been doing it 25 30 years and uh, you know you just you sit there and you go man can I ever be that good like that guy is just so funny like every sentence he says is like creative well thought out perfectly written and delivered and it's just amazing and you're like Wow, and that's why you keep going and why you keep trying and why you keep putting pen to paper and talking into a microphone is, is the chase of having that ability to stand up in front of a room full of people and talk into a microphone and have them have an amazing time where they forget all their problems and they leave super happy. And uh, that's what it's all about, right? That's uh, that's what the game is. It's- when you started in stand-up, did you think it would be as much work as it actually is. Yeah, it's a lot of work. And it's, I mean, you get out of it what you put into it. So if you want to, you know, be a headliner and have 45 minutes killer material, you got to sit down every single day and you got to write. And there's other times when you're like, do and it's just like you and your backup plan. You, you have to question what you spend your time on, right? Do I want to go sit on the couch with my kids and watch a movie and have a great, a nice fire evening? Or do I want to go and look at the, or listen to the, the set I just did or go write some more jokes? And you have to, you know, as a 47-year-old man, I have to figure out the balance that I want to have in life, right? I want to have, uh, I want to, I don't want to be going out to comedy clubs every single night, but I want to go out a couple nights a week, right? And to be truly good at comedy, you have to be out there every single chance you get. You got to be out there every single night doing as much comedy as you can. And for a person who's in their 20s, that's a great opportunity and a great thing to do. It's a great place to spend your time if you don't have kids at home, if you don't have uh, you know, a family at home. But it's, it is ultimately like everything in life. Whatever you put into it, you're going to get out of it. And it is hard. It's a really hard thing. It's way harder than motivational speaking, which I said like I did for eight years, where you can get up there and you can talk. And as long as you have the attention of the people, that's the equivalent of having people laugh at a comedy club, right? So if you have their, their eyeballs on you, it's, it's, it's one thing. But in a comedy club, you can only do that for about a minute before people start checking their phones and wondering where the bathroom is. You got to make them laugh. They're there to right. laugh, right? So you can tell a story, have a message, but there has to be something funny in it. There has to be a twist in it. There has to be something coming that they didn't see that's that's going to make them laugh. And uh, yeah, comedy is, I can't think of anything harder. I can't think of anything more challenging that I've ever done is to to write a joke that's going to appeal to a lot of people on, on given like any given night. Right? Like, I mean, some nights you go in there and people are going to laugh at anything. You tap the microphone and people laugh. Other nights you go in there and you throw your best jokes at them and the, with the best delivery and, you know, you can hear the ice machine at the back of the room and you're like, wow, <laughs> why is that different, right? How is this different? But that's what it's all about. There's, you know, crowds and rooms and there's all kinds of options and variables that you have to, like, take into consideration and figure out and see how it works best. And, and that's you do that by 
trial and error by watching people who have been there and done that and just never given up, right? Learn from your mistakes. Have you ever bailed completely? Like you started and you're like, this room is a terrible room. People are drunk and they're heckling and it's terrible and I'm out of here. No, and you just never, cut your set short. No, I never cut my set short. Always done my time, but there are definitely times when I've stopped doing my comedy and just started remarking on the room. I really like to do crowd work a lot. So sometimes that can be a huge crutch. And it's like if you got to do 20 minutes and you get up there and you're doing crowd work, like I'll get there early, I'll pay attention to what's happening in the room, I'll make opinions of the people I see and sort of see interactions, maybe ask a person a few questions, especially if it's a group of people. And you can get up there and talk for 15 minutes and make them laugh hysterically. And then you're like, oh, I should get into some of my jokes. Then you see a different character come out, they see a different character come out and they don't laugh as much because they want the they want the guy who is just making fun of all their friends up there, right? So you got to learn to do all that. And But I definitely never bailed on my time. But yeah, I've definitely stopped doing jokes and started talking to people, which is well, just as fun for listen, me. Listen, as someone who enjoys going to stand-up shows, crowd work is terrifying at times mm-hmm. because I always say to myself, where should I sit where I would be least likely to be noticed in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. So I tend to go like to the middle of the room, but I do enjoy the crowd work for the idiots who sit in the front. They yeah, love yeah. it, obviously. Oh, they love it. Yeah. They're there because they want that, right? That's right. Yeah, you have to have a relationship with the people you can see, with the eyeballs, the are looking at you and you can see back at them. That's my opinion. I mean, a lot of people aren't like that. But the front row, that's definitely, that's your team, man, right there. They got to be with you. And (laughs) usually the first and second rows you can see and you kind of have a relationship with. Anything further back than that, the light's in your eyes and you can't see them. A lot of people will pretend they can see them and you'll look in that direction so that you're making eye contact with people there, but you can't see them. And it's really hard to talk to someone if you can't see them. Uh, Mark, I was at an event last, I'm going to say last spring, and it was a firefighter gala of some kind. Uh-huh. And it was Hello. A, yeah, I know. <laughs> I had a free ticket. You, you I think I hosted me. it. You did. That's what I'm getting <laughs> at. I was there and it was like, it was a really <laughs> randomly weird place because it wasn't yeah, a comedy club. It was hard. a hall. Yeah. Yeah. And it was big, and I remember, and I've you know I've hosted a few events in my day, going okay, the acoustics in this room first of all are going to yeah. be a problem. The tables are so spread out, yeah. and there's like a lot of seniors here, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a little bit worried. It was a terrible, like you said, venue for comedy. A terrible venue, the, like you said. The tables are round, so yep. half the people at every table are either looking over their shoulder or turned their chair. They're all spread apart. Ceilings like 30, 40 feet high. Yeah, you're off the ground like another ten feet off the yeah, right. It was ter- right. But wasn't it a great night? It was. Well, that's what I was going to say. Great. I was like in the middle of the room to the side, and the people in the front row. There was like a, a girls' night out going on, yeah. and then there was another. You just destroyed this one table. There were two guys in there with like seven girls, and you just worked every single one oh, of wow. them. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. I just thought it was great. You just it, it, oh, like you. just the ability to improvise the way you did was great. And then you went to town, of course, on the girls' night out table. The girls' night out table was a table of uh, it was a massage parlor. I only found what? it afterwards. That's right. Yeah, they, they did. I remember they worked together or something like that. But yeah. Well, that now it makes perfect sense. Yeah, they were huge sponsors <laughs> of the night. I didn't even know till no afterwards because I guess they didn't want to come right out and say. I think we, I was talking to them quite a bit though, right? You like, were. Remember at the start, I ran around their table a couple times. But you know what? Know mm. your audience is yeah. the first rule, I guess. When yeah. they say you go, to, how do you know your audience when you have like a fundraiser where yeah. there's eighty year olds and twenty five year old fun people? Yeah, you know, that was so a that's super a, that's, fun a, night. that's but that's a very tough room to read. Yeah. I felt and but you read it perfectly. Oh, thank you. Thank God for the people that you know you had in the front row. Yeah, and it wasn't for sure. Aunt Bertha in there. Yeah, yeah. no, the front. Have row you was ever great. offended anyone? Probably, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't <laughs> stick around long enough to find out. I, I, I always do stick around, actually. I always stand at the door and say goodbye to everybody and goodnight to everybody and thank them for coming because it's a big deal to actually, you know, take that step and leave your couch and leave your house and your wonderful TV to go out. And I think it adds value if the person who's been on stage uh, telling jokes and talking to them also says goodnight to them. So I like to do that, too. But uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seriously offended anyone? Um, I don't think so. I try really not to be offensive. I, I mean, obviously, you're always walking the line, right? That's that's the beauty. It's not of it. hard in our business. Let me tell you. Yeah, I can't think of anything. We get emails all the time, hate mail. Yeah, it's yeah, rough. That's a good question because I, I, I can't think of it. I mean, I'm sure it must have happened, and people just. Uh, just suck it up and go on because I'm like a big tall guy, right? So people generally don't uh, heckle me or, or you know, tell me that I've disappointed them, except for my wife. Well- <laughs> Children, <laughs> closest friends. So the secret parents. to stand up comedy is being yeah. uh, intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. That's the name of the game for sure. If you can scare people. So, but uh, to heckling for a second, you said yeah. you really haven't been heckled. Really haven't been, or have you ever been heckled? Uh, no, but people will think they're join, uh, helping the show out definitely right. by saying things. And as a person who does a lot of crowd work, that often does because then I can turn the focus on them and then make them funny because they're making a fool of themselves. Absolutely. Not sort of like, you suck. I've never had that stuff. Um, definitely probably could have and should have, but. Uh, there are people who really think that they're contributing to a show by saying things. They don't understand that this is like something that people have worked on and crafted and it just throws everything off. And some people are really thrown off by hecklers. And uh, I, 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 if I'm trying to do my jokes and somebody can ruin them, for sure, that's definitely happened. People have thought they, they were contributing and they screwed up a punchline. Like, I mean, it's all timing, right? You do a setup, pause, have a nice uh, punchline. And if someone says something during that pause or before the punchline, they can screw the whole joke up. Or if they, they make a comment while you're saying the punchline, then people don't hear what the punchline is and you're not going to repeat it. And you've lost the, you know, the, the thrill of the, the switch, the change, the change of direction. And that sort of stuff happens all the time. And you got to just learn to go with it. You can't, uh, you can't start you know, pointing people out the first couple of times they do stuff like that. After a while, you can, especially if it's bothering other people. One of the big problems with uh, sort of hecklers or people who aren't paying attention is the rest of the crowds often can't hear that. When you're on the stage, you can hear someone, whether they're just whispering to their friend and it's just throwing you off all the time. And if you start saying things to those people and everybody else in the room doesn't know that they've been doing things to disturb the show, then you look like the bad guy and then the crowd's not on your side. I mean, you have to keep people on your side. You have to, you have to be likable. You have to, you have to be uh, sort of not like an asshole to people. Uh, that's what I think. There are some people who asshole is what they do and they, they enjoy, you know, walking people, getting people to leave and stuff. But um, for it. I'm way, way too insecure for okay, that. Okay, go for it. <laughs> About... A year ago, I remember Jerry Seinfeld. Your mouth is open because you're worried where this question is yeah, going to yeah, go. Because yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's a serious question, but it isn't. I think it's an important question to ask anybody who, who stands up on a stage and does comedy. Jerry Seinfeld says he will never play universities anymore because the world is becoming too politically correct. Yeah. Uh, Mel Brooks, uh, like a few months ago, did a documentary, and it was hilarious. He basically said, 
There is nothing that should be off limits in comedy except for the Holocaust. Fair. Uh, but I do ask you this question. Is there any joke that you will not make or something that you will never talk about? Uh, okay, yeah. So no university has ever even asked me to do comedy there. So <laughs> I just want to start, so you're good there? start yeah. by that. All right. Uh, I completely agree in freedom of speech. I think it's uh, we should be allowed to say uh, whatever we want. That's, uh, I mean, on my podcast, I had uh, Mike Ward on. Are you familiar with his case? I've heard. Not very, but I know the name. So he made a joke. Oh, man, like six years ago. I'm just guessing ballpark. He hadn't made the joke in three years. Yes, I know who you're talking about now. Yes. Okay. And so he made a joke about a Make-A-Wish kid, and it was uh, it was about a Make-A-Wish kid who couldn't uh, hear and was a singer, and he's a terrible singer, but he wanted to sing in front of the Pope. And uh, so he got that, and a few months later, Celine Dion invited him to Vegas, and he sang for Celine Dion. And then a couple of years later, he wrote a book about it that went, you know, crazy. And then another year later, he got to sing for the Montreal Canadiens. And it, I mean, the punchline of the joke was, "Why isn't this kid dead? Like he he got a wish, and you know, you're supposed to die right after." And then he started saying this kid's indestructible. And then so he got sued, and they went to the Quebec uh, Human Rights Tribunal, and he it was ordered to pay forty three thousand dollars. It's now an, oh. now an appeal to who the the kid's family. Uh, I don't. I, I think yeah, it goes to the kid's mother and the kid. It's divided right. somehow. I don't know exactly, but he hasn't paid it yet because it's an appeal. But that's a freedom uh, of speech issue, and so I mean, in in if we start telling people what they cannot can and cannot say, then where does it stop, right? What, how, if everyone has to start worrying about what they're saying, especially in the comedy club, which is like the last place where you can still do that, right? It's it's important that we, instead of having people hide their their emotions in the true way they feel, and then they take to action, right? If, if not words, then there's action, and actions are way worse than words. It's the, I guess the argument is if we just let the crazy people talk, we'll know where the crazy people are. Exactly. Right? So I think that's really important, and I think... Um, if you don't like someone's comedy, don't go to see them, right? And if you do uh, experience that, and anytime you're in a comedy club and you're not enjoying yourself because of the comedy or the nature of the, the subject matter, any comedy club will give you back your money and say, thanks, come back another time. They'll probably even give you free tickets for the next time you come. Like, that's not an issue. The issue is people, and, and you're speaking about college and universities, the millennials, and the way they've been raised to not laugh at differences and laugh at the, the things that we should be pointing out and, and laughing at so that they aren't a problem anymore. At a comedy show, it's very hard if there's a large amount of millennials there. Very hard. Really? Oh, it's, yeah. You, what you want to see when you go to a comedy club to perform is people like me, 40-year-old white men, because they laugh at everything hysterically. They drink a lot. And, and w- women, too, and that's obviously stereotyping. But... Women like to go and have a great time, especially when women are together. They even become a problem. They're having so much fun. Like That's where your problems arise is when there's a group of yeah. women drinking. But I love it. I think it's fantastic. And to me, it's like uh, I'm on a date with these women when I'm on stage, right? It's, it's, it's great. I love it. It's the young people, people in their 20s. They'll find things funny and they'll go, but they just won't laugh out loud. It's well, just the way they've been well, raised. Well, that's, that's how we've been conditioned in this day and that's age, it. for sure. What about Kathy Griffin? I, I, last year, I, uh, I'm, I'm such a big fan of Kathy Griffin's. Yeah. I, I've always been a, a big fan of hers. And I'm, I've been so sad to see what's happened to her career because mm-hmm. I, I, you could say that she just told a bad joke, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. It was performance art. 
People took it the wrong way. Maybe it wasn't the greatest joke she ever told. Yeah. And she moved on, but no one else did. What do you think of that? Yeah. Oh, I'm a fan of anybody who stands on a stage and talks into a microphone, especially comedians. And not just comedians, but anyone who has the nerve to get up there and to do that and to try and make a difference. You're up there to try and make a difference, right? You're up there to either make someone laugh, make someone think in a different direction. It might not be the way that you think, right? But I'm a fan of anybody who does that. And the fact, I can't, I think it's overblown. I have no, I mean, she did that thing with Trump's head, right? Right. Like who, I easily could have made that same mistake. It's just, he's a huge big star that people reacted a certain way to it. But I'm sure someone was just Photoshopping and whatever. She probably said, yeah, do it. Whatever it is. I don't know what it was, an ad or just a post. No, she did it. She posted a picture of what looked like Donald Trump's head, a beheading is what it looked like, which is sort of inappropriate in this day and age of ISIS, obviously. And, yeah, you know, the sensitivities that. are high on that particular topic, obviously. But, you know, even Donald Trump lashed out and said, you know, my son thought that was real. Well, your son's a friggin' idiot, first yeah. of all. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you yeah, know, that's a bit much. come on. I can't help you if your son's an idiot. But I'm, I don't know what happened to poor Kathy Griffin. I was so mad about it because Anderson Cooper is the guy she did the New Year's Eve show with. Mm-hmm. He was the first to turn on her and say he didn't want to work with her anymore. She should have He's just, uh, just dirty. I don't like I him. I don't like him either. Not now. Yeah. But so, I mean, yeah. we're in an age of resiliency too, right? Like, you know, fake news. Just She just kind of kept moving on and kept doing stuff. Kept yeah. Do it again. She, well, she did. And she, uh, well, originally she apologized for it because the backlash was so huge and she was losing work mm-hmm. because of it. And she's still uh, an unemployed comedian right now. She yeah. doesn't have work anymore. And then a few months later, which I loved, she grew a pair and she went on and said, you know what? I'm not sorry. I just said it to appease you people. Yeah. I'm not sorry. I would have done it again. Bill, and I loved Bill it. Cosby still performs. I know. You know. Oh, do you think apologizing audience. is the worst you can do as a comedian? Yeah, I think so. I think you shouldn't apologize for the things that you've done, for sure. I mean, you know, there's obviously some exceptions. I don't think that's one of them. She just made a bad joke to people. I mean, to me, I wouldn't even have considered a bad joke. I just would have moved on. I wouldn't even have given any opinion on something like that. I, whatever, you know. I Photoshop things all the time, and I guarantee <laughs> you, know. <laughs> I guarantee you, I have done uh, a beheading Photoshop for for a. Uh, I think it was right around the same time for a uh, for a show. It was a comedian who was going to be on my show, and I'm pretty sure I had uh, something in the White House, and it was like uh, Justin Trudeau passing Donald Trump. I have a plate with the guy, like a, a comedian's head on it. I think I, I'm I'm pretty sure. Like I, I, I make one every week with people's heads. I'm, 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 I'm literally photoshopping people's heads, cutting them out and putting them on usually like, well, this week it's Olympic athletes and stuff. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've done that too. And nobody said a thing, but. You know. Can you put my head on a bodybuilder's head, please? Yes. I really appreciate yeah, I can that. Do that for sure. Thank That's you an so much. Yeah. I appreciate. And make me blonde. <laughs> yeah, that'll be harder. Okay. I don't know how to do that. Just but. figure it out. I make. <laughs> I use a filter. Um, I was gonna ask you. Oh, oh, wait a second. I was going to ask you about bombing one more time. Yeah. yeah. Like you go, you have a a set gig every Friday, you say at Mm -hmm. the comedy club. Yeah. And my question is more about original material. Do you, are you original every single week or do you, (laughs) are you, are you recycling jokes? Do you have, do you have 4 million jokes in your head? Go out, read the crowd and then say, okay, I'm going to do that. And this is the direction tonight. Or do you write a new set every single Friday? Uh, There are people who do both of those. Um, I have probably 20 minutes of jokes that I can stand up there and tell. It's not very much and I should have more and it's definitely my weakness is is time and, and the ability to, to sit down and have the time to do that, right? I have three kids, a wife, 
job, uh, podcast, and a house, and all kinds of things going on in my life. So whenever, it always takes a backseat, right? I'll sit down, and I'll write for an hour, and I'll feel fantastic, and I'll have all this great new material. And then you need to go through a process of trying it out on stage, trying the timing, trying the, the reactions, the body language with it, all that stuff. And then you come up with, you know, like from in my instance, eight minutes of material that I know I can get up there and make the room laugh for eight minutes. So mm-hmm. when I get up on stage and I've got this new material and it's not going fantastic, then you just sort of click into the old material. Like these people haven't seen me very much. <laughs> you know what? I'll get into that joke that I know everyone likes. And then you start doing that. It's very hard to swallow that pill and go, okay, I'm trying new stuff. And, uh, but yeah, often uh, on a Friday night, when I start off, I start off with crowd work for sure. And I think that's really important for the host to do and make everyone feel comfortable and relaxed and to sh- tell them, hey, look, someone's going to be up here talking into this microphone and you're going to listen and you're going to laugh. And okay, then we're going to do this and we're going to do that. There's certain little tricks that you get them to do. You'll find a reason for them all to clap. You'll find a reason for them all to focus and listen. And there's all these little things that you do to make the whole show go really well and to make those people who are coming up after you have a great time. And so... Do I get into material, uh, similar material? Yeah, I do for sure. And I know I have a few things that I do. I always try and do a couple new jokes for sure every night. Um, And I'll also go armed with a new story. Whether or not I use that story often, because my plan is to use that story between comedians sometimes. And uh, often that time just evaporates because someone's gone too long. Something's happened. They need you off stage at a certain amount of time. But I'll always go with a new, a planned new story or a story I've only done a couple times. And uh, usually once the audience really enjoys who you are, so through the crowd work and the, the jokes you've done before, then they're very forgiving. So later in the show, you can get up there and tell a story that doesn't necessarily have a bunch of punchlines, but it's a funny story. Then you know it's going to end really well then they're very receptive to, to allowing you to do that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely not ever the same. And we do have a lot of regular customers, and they motivate me to, to write new material. I'll often sit down and go, okay, I know that guy's going to be there, and that guy's going to be there. So I'm writing this out. I'm planning it out a little bit different. And then if they don't show up, you're like, damn it, I'm just going to use the old jokes. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you find you've got your podcast was yep. going over to that medium, was it difficult because you didn't have a crowd? How did you find that transfer of of skills? Um, okay, so I've been doing motivational speaking for eight years. So I've been speaking to tens of thousands of people. And just through um, people sharing it in on Facebook and, um, and Instagram, I guess people don't share it on Instagram. But just through face, uh, sharing it on Facebook, it's uh, we have some podcasts. I say we because it sounds more important. But I've had some who have almost had twenty thousand listens through the different uh, mediums, right? Through I meant more from a not having a live audience with you at the time. How do you find delivering your material without an audience? Oh, okay. So my podcasts, I don't tell jokes. I just uh, I have like a thirst to find out about how people have overcome obstacles in their life and how they've been successful in life, and it's totally changed my life. I list, I'll get up there, and they're usually about an hour, and I'll ask people to start off from the beginning of their lives, and I'll tell them my story if they don't know my story of overcoming obstacles and taking a terrible situation and making it the motivator, and they'll often you know, sort of see that in their life. It's only when we start talking about our lives that we notice what's pointed us in those directions. It's like looking back at our life, then we see why things happened for a certain reason. 
And often people won't even realize that. I think people have come on my podcast, told their story, and it's changed their life, and it's definitely changed my life. I've seen people who have uh, who have been goal oriented, who have bad backup plans, who have all sorts of different ways. And it's like when you're doing like uh, you know you go to university and you do a project and you ask people their stories and then you start seeing the common threads. Well, now I've, we've done thir- we I've done thirty two podcasts, so you see the common threads of people who have been successful, people who have learned to overcome things, and uh, it's really changed my life and it's really changed the way I think about things, the way I approach things, the way I I, I use my time. And uh, it's not something I try to make jokes. I have a, a good conversation with people, for sure. There's definitely no setup punchlines, and there's often comedians on, right? So, and you'll one of the the nicest things is when the comedian comes on and doesn't start doing their jokes. You know what I mean? Like they and they realize, and they often will. They'll think, oh, it's an interview, and often people just want to hear my jokes, and you'll they'll hit, get into a setup, and I'll always let them go, right? Because I'm not going to step on a punchline. But uh, then they'll just kind of say, okay, this is more about a conversation than it is to make people laugh. And uh, it's, it's been fantastic. And it's, there's been a lot, I mean, I get a lot of feedback about how it's ch- helping people and how, uh, you know, it's, it's changed their lives. And I mean, after I post one, a thousand people, I have no idea what numbers are in your industry or anything or what's good or what's bad. But for me, when I see a thousand people reacting to something and that's like, uh, that's like five sold out nights of yuck yucks. <laughs> like it's unbelievable yeah. that I can go and talk into a microphone and I do it on Facebook live too. And then I'll repost it on YouTube. So there's all, all kinds of different ways to consume it. But after that week that it's been out there and sometimes like when Chris Phillips was on, there were 17,000 people who consumed it in some different way over, over like a week, a one week. I couldn't believe it. And I think it, cause it, I think because I, I put, uh, Chris Phillips, Ottawa senators in the hashtag or in the, uh, meta tags that's in some way in the algorithm in YouTube, it got a lot of exposure mm-hmm. because of things, I mean, we talk about freedom of speech and then we talk about these social media things where we think, Oh, everything's out there for everyone to see. But these social media companies are what's controlling the algorithm and there's, they're, they're controlling who sees what, right. And sometimes, and if you learn to get into their algorithm, it's amazing if you're exposed to things, then people will consume it. People love listening to stories. People love watching people talk. It's amazing. Well, that's what I was I was just going to say. It really is about the storytelling. Whereas you're doing stand-up, your report card is the laughter. You don't get that same report right. card, if you will, doing a podcast. Yeah. But again, good storytelling is good storytelling. Mm-hmm. But further to that, do you mind if we say that uh, Chris Phillips was on our podcast this week so we can get a buck <laughs> yeah, to yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll just say it's fine with you. Chris Phillips. Henry <laughs> Burris was on my podcast last week. That yeah. also got a lot of uh, yeah. attention. Uh, Leanne Lang was on and she, hers went crazy that just the some get more views and some get more listens her listens was in the first week was over a thousand listens which for listening on itunes was a lot for my podcast for sure i i, I get uh well everyone's gone over a thousand over 90 days for sure but leanne lang uh, melissa lamb stuntman stew all the people in your industry yeah. people already know they already right. ha- have an attachment to and anytime i post anything with with a with a radio personality people just want to hear no know more about them right i guess maybe because you give them what 30 seconds at a time and you know you get on the air and then they you become their friend on the radio in the car or when they're doing their work and then if we can hear about their story where they came from the things they had to overcome then people are really have an appetite for yeah that. yeah and we don't get that benefit in this business too because we only talk for yet like you say you know a few minutes at a time and then we hit a song mm-hmm. so we never get to really 
uh, tell a story from beginning to that's end right. properly. Yeah, you guys have a great relationship with people, for sure. And that's, Absolutely. people want to know more. Uh, mm-hmm. Further to that, I do have to ask you about the camaraderie in the stand-up comedy world. Mm-hmm. Is Because in the radio world, I mean, we are very much a close-knit family. There's a lot of friendships, camarader- camaraderie, for sure. Mm-hmm. But we... Uh, we s talk each other like yeah. constantly. Oh, totally, we are and vicious. secretly hate each other yeah. slash especially the women. Yeah, well, I think I think <laughs> except for Hillary and I, we it love might even each other. be a human condition that people are, uh, talk that way and are, are toxic like that. But I find there's a lot of jealousy for sure because people see when one person gets an opportunity, they see it as an opportunity they did not get. But for me, when I see someone get an opportunity, I think, well, that's someone who's blazed a path where I'm going to get that opportunity eventually. I think the more we're supportive of the, the same the people who are doing the same things that we are, then the more opportunities will come for us. I truly believe that, and it's a really hard pill to swallow. And you'll you'll see someone win a contest, get an opportunity, and you're like, man, you know, I've had better nights, blah, 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 blah all that. You start yeah. thinking that negative thought in your head instead of saying, wow, that's great. That's a great opportunity for that person who's worked hard and deserves it. And then someday I will get the same opportunity or a similar opportunity. I really believe that's how it works. The older I get, I'm becoming more cognizant of the fact that I need a legacy, you know, and that, and honestly, and my legacy is that I want to support other women, younger broadcasters who want it so that people think I'm nice. Mm -hmm. But that's so hard for women too, because a lot of times, as soon as you're no longer a sexual figure, people don't know what to do with you. Right. So you might as well be a maternal figure at that point. (laughs) I I think that there's definitely uh, some value. I mean, Without a doubt, that sexual part when when women are young is absolutely there and it opens a lot of doors. But I think just like you say, the mentorship part of it, the part of saying, listen, I've been there, done that. I Here's my story. Here's my... The, the more truthful you can be, the more people will be into your story and what you have to say. And I think if you're out there and you're just explaining your situation and then people are attracted to that. People uh, want to know more about people who are honest. It's, the more truth you can give, the more people will pay attention to you. Uh, I think that's fair. What's the name of your podcast one last time? I'm going to link it in the podcast description, but uh, say it out loud. The Hatfield Trip. It's like a field trip into the minds and lives of interesting people. And there's heads, lots of heads on the pictures you were saying. Yeah, well, that's my that's my <laughs> Friday show. My Mark Hatfield's okay. Friday night, which is every Friday, most okay. Fridays. It's kind of a lame fetish. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's a fetish, the head part? It's lame. Oh, lame. <laughs> For a fetish. Like, you could have had something a little more exciting. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. It, it makes a funny poster, though, I think. It's just for posters. I make posters. And it's different every single week, so I, I like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I find, I, I think, and I don't have no idea if this is true, but the poster is part of the reason why people show up. I think if they see it and they look and they go, oh, my God, there's actual people, and they see the pictures, and they see it with something that's happened in uh, sort of, uh, you know, news regularly, I was trying to... If, have a you know a current event that's going on like this week it's uh the team figure skating it's when they're all have their arms in the air on the ice and i've just uh photoshopped all the heads of the people who are going to be on the show and put a nice <laughs> filter on it with the information i think people kind of like that yeah. yeah i love it uh mark hatfield thank you for being a guest on the quick and the dirty podcast thanks for having me yeah that was fun was it <laughs> <laughs> The best is yet to come. That's right. <laughs> and don't forget to follow The Quick and the Dirty on social. Instagram, at Hillary on air, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. Twitter, at Hillary Welch, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. And Facebook, at Quick and Dirty Podcast. If you've got a question for us, you can email us at thequickandthedirty at gmail.com.